give it that. Okay. Thank, you. Thank you, Pastor. It's really a privilege to be up here. The view definitely looks different up here and down there. <laughs> um, you know, I don't quite like the light shining in your face. I've been there and I know what is it like. And it reminds me that we are not going to be here permanently. We are praying, asking the Lord to do something for us. We're going to move out of this place next year. And we don't have to stare at the light. I think this place designed in the morning is such that when you come in the morning, it's beautiful. But in the afternoon, it's not the best deal. You just have to stare into the light. So it just reminded me that we are on a temporary assignment only. We are here and we are waiting. We are asking God to do something special for all of us. I want to thank uh, also the fact that uh, the church has been standing by me for the last 30 years and I'm grateful. I must confess that when I first started out, I had a good career in the army and I liked the army a lot. And when I stepped out in full time, it was to the Lord's kind of telling, Lord, only one year, okay, one year. And one year led to another year. And pretty soon I ran out of excuses and it's been 30 years. And God has just blessed me and just as Ronnie has said, God has been faithful to all of us in this building. And many of us have been here for a long time. We all can testify that God has been good to all of us. Something to be proud about, something to say that God has answered our prayers and He stood by us. I also want to draw attention to the fact that uh, the Reformation concert that is come, upcoming, I'm one of those uh, untrained, older ones who have no clue what we are doing in the choir. But I must tell you that uh, having been there a few times, sitting with them, I'm just in awe of the fact that we have so much talent in this church with the musicians, those who know how to sing, the conductors, those who can conduct, those who can write those notes. I have no clue what those notes mean, the music score. But honestly, I'm just in awe of the fact that uh, this church can really put up something when you put the heart to it. And uh, just the, the way the conductors lead us, uh, I'm just so in awe of the fact that I'm, in fact, I count it a privilege to be there. So those of us who are going to bed tonight, you know, just do your best. Because, and then those of us who are trying to sell tickets, 900 tickets is not a big deal. Two nights only. And I'm just more, I'm sure I have more than 900 tickets, but we can definitely sell those tickets because it's just a testimony of how God has been blessing us. Last week at the... Uh, on Thursday, I think I received a prayer request from a church ask, talking about Ealing. Ealing was asking prayer for the fact that her grandfather passed away and he's a non-Christian and it's going to be a non-Christian funeral. And she and her mom were trying to like, make a stand so that they don't have to do the joystick thing and so on and so forth. And she was asking for prayer. But inside she said in the prayer request, day five reminded me that people need the Lord. Also encouraged hearing her say that I'm doing this and that spoke to me, and that encouraged us to stand for the Lord. I know that many of you are trying and doing this, and every day as we do this, we are just saying that we're preparing our hearts for the concert, and preparing our heart to tell the gospel. This is a wonderful month, we're talking about Jesus, and so many of us will be trying to say that this is how Jesus meant something to us. And so I just want to encourage you to do this journal. It's special, it's very good, and I think it shouldn't be just left there alone, but it's that we should really work at it and try to make this work for us. As a navigator, I work in a ministry called Alumni Ministry, older people, and I do disciple making, but I picked up a phrase over the years called come alongside. And out of my come alongside desire, there's two passages that I like a lot, and Pastor Oliver touched on the first one last week in Luke 24, when these two men walk with Jesus, that would be one of those verses that I refer to as how the come alongside part is so important. There's another set of verses in Acts 8, 24. Uh, Acts 8, uh, 26 to 40, where you talk about Philip and the eunuch. And this is a walk alongside part. And I can imagine, and you don't have to turn to the passage, because I can imagine Philip was transported there, and here was this chariot that was moving along. 
and there was this utopian in not reading the scriptures, in fact, reading the Old Testament. And the way I think along, alongside is when Philip was running, trying to keep up with the, the chariot, and he asked a question to the guy inside the chariot, what are you reading? And the utopian Yenak said, and he read, and he claimed it came from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened out his mouth. He quoted from Isaiah 53, 7. And then the man replied to Philip, how can I understand unless someone explained to me? And that's usually when we talk about how we want to work with people, help them read the Bible and so on and so forth. But I was thinking about that passage, it's like, huh? There's something here from the Old Testament, and I was given this topic of talking about Old Testament and Christ. And here was a very clear-cut passage from Isaiah 53 to talk about Jesus, and that's where we're going to turn to. But also at the same time, not so long ago, I was at a dinner with Bell King, and at this dinner, someone whipped up his phone and said, you know, there's this girl who died and went to heaven, and she saw a picture of Jesus, and then she whipped up her phone, like most of us would do, and then open up and said, look at this beautiful picture of Jesus. Now, I don't doubt that if that girl has gone to heaven and come back and reported the picture of Jesus, I don't want to fault it in any way. But I'm not sure if this is what the Bible paints to me about Jesus. And so I'm going to look at, together with you in Isaiah 52 and 53, the picture of Jesus is given to us. Not necessarily, I'll give you a bit of kind of heads up, it's not necessarily a very nice picture, but it's the picture of Jesus as in the Bible. Also, if you ask me, normally I don't like to touch this passage because... We leave it for Easter. We leave for Good Friday. That's a part. But normally, I don't want to talk about it. But based on the fact that the Lord led in this way with the two passages and this comment about the nice picture of Jesus, I felt we have to look at this picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Let's pause and pray and then commit this time to the Lord. Lord, thank you for the fact that you paint for us a picture of yourself. Not a nice picture, but a true picture of who you are. All because you love us, all because you care for us. And so as you look at this passage now, Lord, help us to understand open our eyes to see what you're telling us about yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 52, verse 13 to Isaiah 53, verse 12. It's a whole nice passage. We first start with the first verse in Isaiah 52, verse 14. This is a kind of sock you in the face immediately, it plunge into that. I don't like it when I first kind of like, it don't give any warning at all. As many were astonished as you, his appearance was so marked beyond human semblance and his face beyond that of the children of mankind. This is a picture that is, doesn't stop. It just, boom, bring you to the cross. Jesus was crucified. And those of you who have seen Passion of Christ or any other movie, or it can even be just by a stretch of imagination, all the flogging, all the beating and hanging on the cross, it's not a nice picture of Jesus Christ. It's a nice picture of Jesus Christ because his appearance was so marked and beyond human semblance. He was beaten until probably no longer human. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. We don't like things that are not proper. Sometimes we see someone that is not so nice, we tend to kind of feel like, that's not right, is it? But this is the picture that is staring at us. If you are a Christian, I'm sorry, this is the picture that was left for us to look at. Nothing to boast about in so far as how beautiful is Christ. It is not. Just like the, the girl said, you know, I saw a picture of Christ and it was so beautiful. I, I don't doubt her saying that, but the picture that's painted for me here is not a beautiful picture. In fact, it's a bit not so pleasant. In fact, I thought that was the only part, but then when I went on to Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says, He grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Now, Jesus didn't appear overnight. He grew up 33 years. 
Sometimes when I think about the fact that the God that they love us and went to the cross for us lived for 33 years. In the course of 33 years, I'll ask you whether or not you think at any one point in time there will be some cut on his fingers because he worked on the carpentry thing. Or maybe he has a toothache. Or maybe he has some other normal growing up process. When you and I have children, you know, your son is not well, your daughter is not well, you rush to the hospital. I still remember one time I, I rushed my, I can't remember which kid now, I got four. <laughs> we went to the hospital and I woke up the intern. And the guy was sleeping, oh yeah, okay, what's happening, you know. And you know, it was high fever and so on and so forth. I described what I did, you know, sponge it with uh, you know, eyes and what have you. See, yeah, I would have done exactly what you have done. He went to sleep. No, he didn't actually go to sleep. He actually tended to us. But it's like, well, we're all concerned when our children are not well. Pain, suffering. And Jesus, good 33 years, he went through everything that a human normal being would go through. Pain, adjustment. It was not instant. He did like the, the way the Chinese God described the monkey God. He didn't explode out of a rock. He lived for 33 years. Like a young plant, he took pains to grow. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form of majesty that we should look at him. This is the part that disturbs me. You mean he's not nice to look at? No beauty that we should desire him? No form of majesty? I'm sorry, but sometimes I think of the song Majesty. It's like, it doesn't fit in well with my... The way it's described here is no... You don't want to look at him because it's not nice. It's not pleasant to look at Jesus because that's the Jesus that we are painted in this particular passage. Verse 33, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteem him not. Again, it takes some uh, bit of adjustment, especially when I was just going through. By the way, one of the things I enjoyed a lot uh, the last two years is I copied the Psalms. Uh, somebody said, Kimmy, why you copy the Psalms? Such an old-fashioned thing. I say, I copied the Psalms because I want to linger longer in the Scriptures. If I read it, if I just scan through it, I, I kind of click it very quickly. I can read it three times and still it wouldn't sing in. But if I copy the Psalms, and I, this is my fifth round doing it now, the first two were just the Psalms of David, and now the third round is all of the Psalms. But when I copy the Psalms, it forced me to linger longer. So when I do this same passage, I also copy it out. This idea of he is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow. I mean, when I was copying all the words, it's, it hurts me. It was not, not nice. And for men who hit their faces, he was despised and we esteem him not. This is the Jesus that was painted for us. Not a nice picture at all. What do you do? In verse 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, afflicted by God and afflicted. Again, when I copy the Psalms, and I copy this, Every time I come to the word stricken, smitten, afflicted, the eyes and the L's is like spears and javelins. It pokes. It hurts. He had, borrowed, he had bought our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now, it's not so much of the fact that we don't think about this, but we, we are not the kind of people that in this modern world, we don't like pain. We don't like anything that's unpleasant. We don't like things that are a bit of the normal uh, just to give a small little illustration, last year I had a bit of a problem in my leg. There was a nerve that was giving me some problem. And if Pastor Anna is in this old trade, I'd be begging you, please give me another acroxia because those are the painkillers that you want when you want to kill the pain. And I was popping in painkiller almost every few hours. It was very painful. Uh, I appreciate the ladies, I appreciate older people, I appreciate young children because most of the men, basically, we, we don't like pain and we want to avoid the subject of pain. But the people who go through pain regularly and there are people who don't have... A, access to a croxia or panadol, and you feel the pain because it's there. But here he says, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
and there was no apoxia in those days. And he was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You know, we use words to describe things. Oftentimes in the scripture, they just try to tell you something that is as close as you can. Oftentimes you use the word like, L-I-K-E, like. It's not like in the Facebook you like somebody. But it's just to describe to you, it's close to, but it's not quite there. It's like. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Pierced, crushed. Was the chastisement that brought us peace. Whatever was the punishment that was when him brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It is good for us to ponder that oftentimes the transgressions, the iniquities. In Singapore, I don't know of many people that I know of who are what I call out and out sinners. That means they do things very blatantly, they, they disobey. I mean, generally, as a rule of thumb, you're on the highway, you see seven, nine, uh, 80 kilometers, you try to keep. Nobody purposely going to break the rules. Singaporeans, as I know it over the years, they do try to maintain an orderly society. And many of my friends, as I grew up, nobody really break the law very blatantly. Transgressions, iniquities, those are things that we have done that describe how we have done wrong. In fact, the next verse explains why this is meant by gone astray. Or we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I ask myself, gone astray, do my own thing. Is it so bad? Is it so bad to just do my own thing and turn to my own way? Then as I was reading early on in, uh, I think one of the days in the devotional about Eve, Eve chose to listen to a prompting by the devil, by say, a certain serpent said, why don't you take this fruit? And God says, no. But she thought, hmm, maybe it's not so bad if I would do my own thing instead of listening to what God said. And obviously, we all know the consequences as a result of that, sin came into the world. Do your own thing going astray is actually very normal for many people. I didn't, I didn't really cheat. I didn't really did anything wrong, but I just do my own thing. God says, as long as you do your own thing, you've broken my commandments. And for that, God has laid on him the infinity of us all. For that, he was crushed for our iniquities. For that, he was pierced for our transgressions. I think it's important for us as Christians growing in our faith, planning to trust God, to recognize that uh, we are not able to do anything by ourselves. We can only recognize that we are sinful people, we are people that have not done right, and there's no way, no way we can atone for our own sins by working harder. Uh, I'm a Singaporean, I'm an army man, I work hard, I like to try for goals, I push, I strive. It's all very normal to me. I guess very normal to all of us who are here in Singapore. But none of this, none of this can do anything to take away my sin before God. 53.7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Again, I underline words like oppressed, afflicted, I don't like those words too. It talks about how Jesus was punished. And twice it's described in this verse, he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Like a sheep that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearer is dumb. I don't know how did the Lord created lamb this way. Most, most other animals will squeal and try to run away, but lambs are just, you can call them meat. They just accept the fact that, you know, they don't make a lot of noise. Like a lamb, that was the word I said, man, like a lamb. 
that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that was before his children is slidened, so he opened out his mouth. Jesus didn't protest. Jesus didn't protest. Again, reflecting on the fact that I'm a Singaporean, I fight for my rights. I protest a lot. I don't like certain things. And I tell people off, because that's the way I am brought up in this society. And as a Christian who is articulate, and as a Singaporean who knows his rights, I know what is right, I know what is wrong. I know what is mine. I know what is, who should I fight for? As I look at the example of Jesus here, he did not open his mouth. Christians who don't open their mouth, are we dumb? Are we kind of silly and stupid? Maybe we are. But that's the example that was set because that's the Jesus that died for us on the cross. He did not open his mouth. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Once I, I studied uh, this book, uh, Cha Xuan Do, Darkness and the Dawn. In fact, um, I used to have a joke about this because I prepared this message and I did it for Pedestal Frankel. And um, the way the book was written by Charles Windor, it was six days short of his 66th birthday. And um, he had a heart attack then in the year 2010, I think. And um, he, was, he recovered from there. But he was preparing the darkness and the dawn, the life and death of Jesus Christ. And I went through all the arguments and how the trials were not legal and so on and so forth. I thought to myself, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. There's no way the criminal court could have justifiably said that it was wrong. It's all done like before dawn, they had a, a gathering. It was against the law to do a, a gathering of the, of the Sanhedrin before dawn. But all of the things that were listed out in that particular sequence just proved that it was just oppression and judgment. It was not legal, it was not proper. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, the idea of cut off from the L, the land of the living, it's like almost the people who are your contemporaries, your age group, your, your countrymen, they almost wish that you die. They didn't stand up for you. They take away your right to exist, and they didn't feel that it was wrong for them to put you to death. It was like you had no chance because you were as good as dead. Stricken for the transgression of my people. This is the first part in the whole passage that for the first time, I saw a little bit of glimpse of hope transgression of my people. There's a hint down there that God's saying, you are doing it for me. There's a small little hint. And I'm so, oh, that was so encouraging. Because the first few verses was heavy and terrible. And I thought to myself, just meditating through those verses didn't help me at all. It just made me feel miserable that, that this Jesus that died for me on the cross was so unjustly punished. It says in verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there's no deceit in his mouth. Again, it's the first hint that he had to die with two thieves and the first hint that he would be in a rich man's tomb because Nicodemus put him inside this tomb. Nicodemus is a rich man. Uh, the way those of you who have been to Israel, you want to see the rollaway stone, though they said it's at the Garden of Gethsemane, it's not the real place. But the whole idea of such a huge stone covering a, a, a hole in the ground it's not anybody that is cheap or poor. It has to belong to somebody that is rich. So way, way early, his death, his burial, his whole thing about him going to die was prophesied, was promised. So when we read the Old Testament in this particular place in Isaiah, it's one of those more very clear, very no-argument kind that this is Jesus 
that we're talking about, because it's confirmed in Acts 8 and subsequently lived out in the New Testament that Jesus went to the cross for us. Something that you and I can hold on to and say, these are the facts that are promised, that is prophesied, that is delivered, and finally it happened. This is not a faith that we just hope that it will bring us to heaven one of these days. It is something that was there for a long, long time, predicted, talked about, and fulfilled. That's how it was. I like the last, two verse, last few verses because there you begin to get a better hint of how it is like because the more ugly part is over, now it's the more pleasant one. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul make an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Twice the phrase, the will of the Lord was there. Firstly, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And then the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God has his plans to punish Jesus, and yet it was for a good purpose. He put him to grief when he made an offering for guilt, and then there's a promise, you'll see his offspring shall prolong his days. Jesus went to the cross willingly on our behalf. Yes, he knew that it would be promised deliverance. And when he went through the Garden of Gethsemane, he did say, not my will, but yours be done. They say, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. He was as human as any one of us in so far as we feel pain. And yet, he knew that he needed to do the will of God. And he knew that at the end of the day, this is what God wants him to do. And those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, it's a great privilege to know Jesus. And it's something that we cannot just keep to ourselves. I mean, those of us have seen our children, some of you have seen your grandchildren. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to do that. One of my dreams is that I once went to a Bible school when, uh, in South Carolina, and uh, this is like, you want to boast about how well your church is doing. I don't care if you've got a 30,000 strong church in Singapore. This church I went to had, it's first Baptist Church of Columbia, and I went in and they had Sunday school classes for married couples, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I walked into a class at the 30s, and there were several couples down there, we were all there. And we were wondering who's our teacher. And in through the door came a very, you know, nice old lady, you know. She's wondering, she's going to be our teacher, Sunday school teacher. I mean, in Singapore, it's hard enough to find a Sunday school for kids' class, let alone a Sunday school dedicated for adults and for couples, in this particular case, for the 30s. And so she just stood up there and she said, I have five children, and I'm the fifth generation of Christians through the family line. And all my five children are serving a lot overseas. Does she qualify to teach you? Is she qualified to teach you? Five generations of believers and five kids serving the Lord overseas. Is she qualified to teach you? I thought to myself, I would love to have her teach me that kind of heritage. Now, the idea is that just passing on the faith to the fifth generation is such a blessing. And of course, in this case, our children went to serve the Lord. I mean, the greatest joy of any one of us is to see our children continuing to walk with Jesus and to see that our descendants continue to serve Jesus. I mean, this church is really blessed. We're going to get our building, I'm sure of it. But more than that, I wish that our, our lives, the fact that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross, we're willing to pay the price that we desire our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren wanting to put Jesus first and to serve Him. So that at some point, I would like to see another situation come and someday somebody comes to our church and says, and somebody walk into the room and somebody will say, I have five generations of people who have served the Lord or walked with Jesus and I have children who are serving God. I think to me it's be like, wow, what kind of a boast is that? What kind of a wealth in that, in the sense that we have people who say that, yes, this is how God has blessed us so richly.
That's my desire. In the verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Again, um, there's again a hint, he shall see and be satisfied. Um, the righteous one, my servant, make many counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The outcome of Jesus doing all those things is that many, many people will be counted righteous because of his death on the cross. And then the last verse, again another one, it says in verse 12, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made transgression, intercession for the transgressors. The language here is that of when you are after a kind of a battle is done, you begin to talk about how you're going to divide up your spoil. You have a portion of the many, and you shall divide the spoil of the strong. Words of, to describe what, how, you're going to, how you're going to just enjoy the blessing of a victory. Because Paul was his soul to death, because he bore the sin of many, he was numbered with transgressors, and he made intercession for transgressors. This is what he's doing for us today. He's making intercessions for us as transgressors. Something that we all should pause and say, God, thank you for dying for us on the cross. Thank you for not only just merely dying on the cross. As I read this passage, it describes to you in great detail what he went through. That the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that we proclaim, the Jesus we need to tell to people about, it's not just a kind of a quick ticket to heaven. It is something that caused our sins to be forgiven, caused us to say, God, I, I can come close to you now because my sins are forgiven. And that there's so much blessing to pour forth in so far as our future into the generations beyond. And the fact that those of us, I am, I'm first generation Christian, and many of us here have more than one generation of Christian. But to see the, the gospel reach out to my parents backwards, and even my grandmother one more step backwards, it's like, this is impossible. How could it be? And yet many of us have prayed and seen how God has blessed us beyond our abilities to imagine how the loved ones that we have prayed for become Christian. Now there's a lot more people who do not know Jesus. In fact, Singapore is really very blessed. The general feeling is that you talk about the gospel. Most people will say, yeah, it's not a bad thing, but I'm not ready for it yet. Later, later. Um, not so long ago, a month ago, I spoke to one 74-year-old man. And uh, I've been trying to get, kind of catch up with him for a whole year because someone gave me his name. And uh, he avoided me for a whole year. <laughs> and at the end of the day, in some un- unusual way, we, I caught him at a, some dinner, some function, and I, he got a book that described a bit of what the people that I was working with described. And he called me out of the clear blue sky. And so he said, Kimeng, uh, I call you because uh, I'm a typical Singaporean. I work hard. I raise my kids. My kids are all settled. And, you know, I, I mean, as far as doing my job as a father, I've done my job. At 74, uh, about 10 years ago, I had prostate cancer, and I recovered. And then five years ago, it came back, and I'm a little bit anxious. And um, you know, now that I'm growing older, he's athletic, slim. So 74 years old, I couldn't believe him. He was just so slim and so healthy. But he said, yeah, you know, I... I just begin to dawn on the fact that I really, the, the Bible that someone passed me many years ago, I begin to realize that I need to consider this. So I do the navigator thing, I draw him the bridge illustration, you know. And I said, uh, we're going to pray and ask Jesus to come to your life. And then I just did a very cheeky thing. I said, would you sign before you do that? Would you sign your name on this piece of paper before you do that? And he did. And uh, he prayed and he asked Jesus to come in. And um, it, was, it was something that he was, he said, the friend who gave me the Bible many years ago is a pastor today in another church. And as I trace his story, the pastor who gave him the Bible that let him hold it for so long to the point that I shaped the Christ is my spiritual grandfather. That means the guy who helped me 
He was the guy who helped my, the guy who helped me. So I said, whoa, how come the Lord led me in such a way that uh, the 74-year-old man that I tried to pray for him was somebody that was related, related to me two generations in terms of spirituality. Then I invited him to come to a church another day. He didn't meet me for two months, about two weeks, sorry. And I went to a church to speak. And I said, Alan, would you like to come to church and meet up with me in the afternoon, a small little church? And he came and he sat in front here. So I said, Alan, could I talk about your story with this 100 older people in this church? He said, sure. And so I preached the gospel. I shared the rich illustration. I tell the story. I excited him as a model. And then I, I said, uh, I don't normally do this. I'm not the kind that do this. I'm quite friendly to do this. I said, hmm, the Lord laid on my heart to ask for hands to go up. Uh, less than 100 people after the children have left. And strange enough, one lady put up her hand. I said, oh, is she for real? So I closed in prayer. And then the pastor said to me, you know, in this church, people put up their hand for anything. All kinds of reasons they put up their hand. <laughs> Fine. So anyway, this lady came. She was 30-something years old. Her name is Eunice. And she's mother of two. And she turned out that she was married to somebody in that church who is, uh, whose father is quite well-known in that church. So in other words, that church, they, they, have, you know, they grew up in that church. And so the lady said, so I asked her, Eunice, why did you put up your hand? She said, well, your friend Ellen was there, and you make it so simple that I cannot resist not putting up my hand because I wasn't sure of so many things, but you make it so clear, and that's why I put up my hands. Now, I'm just telling this because people still receive Christ today. I mean, those of us who are in this church, we, we are so privileged, we are so blessed, because so many things to can testify of how God has been. But outside of this door, a lot of people say, Christians are nice people, good people. They are my good friends, my good neighbors, but I'm not ready to accept Christ yet. I'm not ready to respond to the gospel. We don't know when. And I have stories and I have friends who say that, Kim, sometimes timing is not right. But we don't know when. But because it's so important to us, we want to share the gospel by our lives, by our words, by anything we can. Even this, this concert, in some way, it will help people to respond to Jesus better. We do that. Because we just cannot but testify to the fact that Jesus has changed us. We cannot not tell people about what God has done to us. My mother, my father, my grandmother who sold my dad, my brother away, the, 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 mother, the grandmother that I didn't pray a lot about, she became a Christian through an unusual way. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is so gracious and so kind. And we have a wonderful experience of what it means to trust Jesus. Yet it points out here that Jesus didn't have it easy. It wasn't simple. It was difficult. And yet he did it because of us. So my encouragement to you as I close and as I pray is that this is something so rich for each one of us. Um, some years ago, two years ago, I wanted to write a story of people in the church who said that, tell me your story of how it is it like to trust Jesus. I got as far as some, and then I decided that uh, I can't do that further because there were some issues. Then I got 21 of my friends to say, tell me your story. And I titled the book called Rivers of Living Water. Out of John 7.38 says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And out of that 21 stories, I think two people in this church have contributed a story, David Chan and Shige Mori, and they're part of this story. And all the ones in these stories are saying that, yes, it is true, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water because Jesus makes that happen. Now, they all are older men and older women now, so they said it didn't happen immediately. There are issues and there are difficulties, but Jesus will come through, and those of us who trust Him can testify of how God is this like, that He does deliver for us. So my prayer is that definitely God will use us in this church to magnify His name and preach the gospel and share freely that this Jesus who loves us so much and suffered for us will continue to be the one that we will sing proudly about. 
If you do not mind, I'd like to ask you to stand so we can dedicate ourselves to the Lord as we pray. Could I ask you to stand? Lord, thank you for going to the cross for us. Thank you for suffering on our behalf. Thank you that we don't deserve any of the things you did for us, but you love us. You opened the door for us, for we and our families and our loved ones, for our country, for this world that can respond to you because you have done it all. We just need to respond to you in faith. Help us as a church all to take full advantage of this blessing that we are so blessed with so much talent and so much gifting and so much resources that, Lord, we want to proclaim your name. Help us to do it fearlessly. Help us to do it courageously. Help us to believe that, Lord, you can use us to bless many people. That your name will be glorified as we dedicate ourselves to say, God, here's a church that wants to honour you and glorify you because you have done so much for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing the song of response in response to the message.